And good morning. This is Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, and it's great to be with you. Whether you're at the workplace or just kicking around home. We've got a great show for you this morning. Our main guest is Michael Bryan, and our theme is UFOs and High Strangeness. We'll start the program with Charlene and Pet Talk with Dogs and Cats for Adoption from the Capital Humane Society. Our second segment is UFOs, ETs, and Exopolitics with Paula Harris. It's with a great degree of sadness that I announce that my buddy and radio colleague, former general manager Dick Noble, has passed away. Dick passed on Thursday night from myriad complications that he was uh, so bravely and valiantly uh, fighting. You might have seen that uh, Dick and Nettie, his wife, were in the news this week. They had an unfortunate fire in their townhouse. Uh, Part of the furnace apparently uh, malfunctioned. They were able to escape that. Uh, Some damage, of course, to the townhouse and uh, resulted in them living in a motel ostensibly until the repairs were going to be completed. Uh, Although he was faced with these myriad challenges, it's still a shock to everybody that he passed. Dick Noble became the general manager in 1990, and uh, under his tenure, KZUM turned a huge corner. They went from um, having two nickels rubbed together and hoping we got a quarter to the onset of the modern-day KZM radio ushering in this wonderful new experience for us as programmers, staff, and you as listeners. Um, I would postulate that without Dick Noble, that wouldn't have happened. He had lots of background in radio, um, served in the U.S. Navy, taught courses at the Defense Information School, owned a radio station back in Vermont. Dick and I always joked about uh, Vermont having 10 months of winter and two months of bad sledding. That's one of the things I liked about Dick was he had a, a sense of elan, a sense of style, um, a guy of strong character. He was funny, had a great sense of humor. Uh, I never saw him talk down to anybody. You always felt better when you were uh, in Dick's presence. When he uh, applied for the general managership at KZUM, John Morris was quoted as saying that his um, resume was so incredible (laughs) that uh, they thought he almost was overqualified and almost going to, they were going to pass over it. And of course, uh, everybody was lucky that they didn't. Um, The budget before Dick 
for the station was about seventy to eighty thousand a year. Uh, as of two thousand and two, the budget was two hundred and twenty-five thousand. That was when he left the station and retired. And of course, it's gotten bigger and greater. And since then, Dick uh, uh, was a guy that uh, I. Enjoyed a friendship with, along with Ed Rumbaugh. We met every couple of months, and we'd go out to a, a place and have lunch and talk about the the good and bad of the world. And uh, it was so fun. I last saw Dick uh, as he was battling these health challenges. Um, he invited Ed and I to his townhouse, and we had pizza sat around for about two and a half hours, three hours, and, and uh, had great conversation. Uh, Dick uh, uh, was a guy that you knew had traveled the world. He was informed. Um, I hate to use the word sophisticated. I would only use that in the best sense of the word, and yet that never uh, put him above or separate from people. In fact, one of the things that uh, in a Daily Nebraska article he was quoted as saying that he was most happy with was the inclusion of the uh, shows that were non-English, Spanish, Vietnamese, Russian, Bosnian, Chinese. So he was really a champion of the uh, of the little person, of the underdog, and those that uh, didn't get a voice, he was determined in many, many ways to help them have that voice. He said in the Daily Nebraska article um, that when he retired in 2002, he planned on doing some writing, and he's done a lot of that since. He's going to be very well missed, John Morris said. And uh, during the last week, Dick Noble set in on the Best of the Blues show and the last fun drive that he took part in. Noble said that uh, he had bittersweet thoughts about leaving the station. I believe from the first day I walked through the door that this was one of the biggest treasures in Lincoln, Dick Noble said. People should support it intellectually, spiritually, and financially. Dick Noble uh, passed away way too early Thursday this week, surrounded with family and some friends. And he leaves all of us here wishing him well on this next incredible, mysterious journey. Godspeed, Dick. Godspeed. I'm Scott Colborne. You're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. We've got...
Jack Reacher coffee in our cups. With me over here on the microphone to my left is Jim Shorney. Jim, good morning. Good morning, Scott. I asked you off mic if you'd ever known or met Dick Noble. No, I'd never had the pleasure. He was a, was a great guy. Sounds like it. Our best to Colleen. She's uh, missing in action on assignment this morning. We do have a great show for you. Let's kick on Charlene with the Capital Humane Society, and let's talk about some pets for adoption. Hi, Charlene. How are you? The loss of your friend. Thank you so much. It's very kind of you. You've got some special stuff going on at the Capital Humane Society. I read a Facebook post. Tell us more. So today is the last day of our dog adoption special. So if you're interested in a canine companion, we hope you'll come to our Pylock Pet Adoption Center and see if we have uh, the perfect match for you. And we are also having our kitten shower today. It's going to be really fun from 11 to 2, also at the Pylock Pet Adoption Center. And there's already some really cute kittens in there looking for great new families. Okay, we've got a kitten shower. We actually had an early morning rain shower here. How appropriate. So we've got uh-huh. cats and kittens and things uh, showering down. But, but it's not raining now, so get yourself down there. So I've got a Pawnado adoption promotion page I'm looking at here. Pawnado. And uh, the Capital Humane Society would love to help you meet your next best friend. One or more dogs, so they've got a special on adoption fees, and that runs through, uh, is it through tomorrow or through today? Just through today. Okay. So we've got uh, specials on adoption fees. Um, I'm going to pull an audible here. Let's start with dogs for adoption. Okay. (laughs) We'll start with Jack. Jack has been in the adoption program for a while. He's a very handsome Labrador, about five years old, a neutered male, very athletic, energetic, intelligent, uh, does need a home uh, that's canine-free and feline-free, but he is such a great companion. You'll never wish for more. He looks like a friendly fella, doesn't he? He is. He's just so much fun. One ear cocked up, just kind (laughs) of, hey, what's up? Let's Uh Let's go for a run. Jack, yeah. be nimble. Jack, Jack be, be quick. I don't let him near any candles. No. <laughs> Great looking dog, uh, full of life. Jack, your new next best friend. Jack is followed by. We want to promote baby girl. She's also been waiting for a while for her perfect family. She's about two years old, a shepherd pit bull mix. Really very fun. She's just a little shy and nervous at first, but then once she knows she can trust you, she likes to sit pretty for a snack and be told she's cute. Um, So she knows the right families out there, and maybe today's her day. Oh, that is just adorable. Yep. You know, sometimes, Jim, you can look at a face of a dog like this, and you can see see quite a bit. Mm -hmm. The face and the eyes are kind of a mirror into that personality. And this is a great dog. Oh, yeah. Take a look at the picture of Baby Girl at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. We've talked about Jack, Baby Girl, and then there's... Next up is Max, and he's a big boy, about 80 pounds, 7 years old, a great Pyrenees Antolian Shepherd mix. Look at this, Jim. Wow. That's a a cool-looking dog. 
And uh, he is very fluffy, very large, needs a family that can provide him with proper care. Um, he does need some training, so you'll want to have the time and skill to work with him. But he's a pretty laid-back fella, likes to just stand up and lean on you. <laughs> so he will be a very loyal friend. <laughs> you, you know, it kind of looks like he's got a superhero mask over his face. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting, interesting features. Take a look at the picture of Max. Max the super dog. We've got Jack, baby girl, and Max, and special adoption fees through the close of business today. What are your hours open today? We are open at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center today from 11 to 530 and also tomorrow. Well, if you want to adopt a dog, this is a great time to do it, folks. Mm -hmm. Okay, we've got a kitten shower uh, happening right now. And let's talk about cats for adoption. We have some beautiful cats. We'll start with Bella, and she is a torty cat. Bella. 11, <laughs> 11 months old, big, bright eyes, a fabulous attitude, uh, looking for a home without dogs or kid, kids under the age of eight. Uh, she can be a little bit feisty, but she is a lot of fun. <laughs> she has tortitude. Uh-huh. <laughs> what a pretty kitty. Well, I don't know how you pick a cat these are all great looking cats yeah they are aren't they uh who do you gonna who's who's gonna follow bella well claudia because she's so special now claudia is about four years old a beautiful smoky gray and unfortunately she did have her eyes removed so oh. she's blind but she just does not let that slow her down at all as soon as she hears your voice she starts to purr and roll She's just got the most fabulous heart and really will be a sweet companion. So she would need a, a, a person that would spend some time with her, indoor only, obviously. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, this could be a, a wonderful friend that uh, you could show attention to and receive devotion and love in return. That's exactly right. She is just going to be fabulous. So she just needs somebody to come in and just see her once and you'll fall in love. Uh, Bella, Claudia, and? Next up is Spike. And Spike is a very handsome cat, very, very playful, looking for a home with people who are cat savvy, who get him. When you go buy his little condo at the adoption center, he's always reaching out and batting at you. <laughs> <laughs> We're always ready to go. He's young, about a year old, uh, very clever, very smart, ready to entertain. Your description fits a guy that I used to know whose name was Spike. Fits okay. to a T. To <laughs> Bella, Claudia, and Spike, three great cats, lots of cats to choose from, and pictures are up at Capital Humane Society. There is a kitten shower. Uh, tell us just again a little bit more about the kitten shower. What's going on? Sure. So we want to promote our work, and a lot of kittens and cats are available for adoption this time of year. We can always use help um, with caring for them with wonderful foster families. We will have some foster volunteers here who will talk about what they do. Um, we have a wish list because we do provide all the items and supplies that foster families need. So we need canned kitten food and, <clears throat> excuse me, kitten milk replacer uh, so that we can provide foster families with the supplies they need to care for all these kittens they're ha helping us with. Mm -hmm. Okay, folks, when you, uh, when you amble out to the Capital Humane Society today to take a look at the cats, the kittens, and the special promotion on dogs and that reduced fee for the uh, dog adoptions, 
you could take along a few things that you could donate. Uh, shoe boxes. Cats love shoe boxes. So any spare shoe boxes, that's a great one to take. Um, old towels, T-shirts, anything like this they can use both for bedding as well as for cleaning rags and things would be great. Um, Clorox. Uh, Purina brand kitten, dog, a puppy, and cat chow. Anything else that, that, that you want, Charlene, in your kind of wish list? Um, again, kitten-related things would be awesome. So, like, non-clumping cat litter. We use digital kitchen scales to weigh them. Uh, little stuffed animal toys to, that they can play with. Uh, so we are grateful for the community's support and any donation. Okay. Uh, more at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. Charlene, thanks so much. And I hope you have a great rest of the weekend and a successful promotion. Thank you so much. You take good care. Charlene and friends at the Capital Humane Society make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. I'm Scott Colborn. You're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Uh, we talked about the passing of former general manager Dick Noble Thursday this week. Uh, Dick was an ardent uh, supporter of my radio show. And uh, he encouraged me to uh, do the best that I could and was always there for me in, in a big and little way. So fond memories of Dick Noble. Uh, if I think of some more stuff here, I'll uh, try to pass it along here this morning. When you've got a guy that is of this stature, that's, that's the, the difficulty is trying to, trying to even cover uh, what he meant to so many people. Speaking of somebody that is meaningful to a lot of us, my next guest, Paula Harris. She's the originator of the Starworks USA UFO symposiums every year, where people from all over the world gather to hear new paradigm thinking. She's also the author of multiple books. She has had my admiration for years because she's one of the few researchers that resists sitting behind a computer monitor. She puts her shoes on. She goes out in the field. She talks face-to-face -face with witnesses. She travels all over the world, and she brings back to us the results of that. We are not alone. Let's welcome Paula Harris to the broadcast. Hi, Paula. <laughs> Hi, Scott. That's quite some introduction. Thank you so much. Where do we find you this wonderful morning? Are you out in the Rockies? Oh, well, I am in the Rockies here now in May, but I will be in Italy in June. I'm just warning you because I don't think you'll find me in June. I'll be in northern Italy in the Italian Alps. Yeah, it'd be fun. But, um, I'm... Go ahead. Yeah, if you, if you have a cell phone, it'd be fun to try to reach you there. But my cell phone is an American one, so it's really hard because it... It doesn't always come through. I only have texting. I don't have uh, oh, gotcha. what do you call it? Calling okay. abilities. Okay. Well, so, what's, is it a uh, is it a pleasure it, trip to Italy, or what? What's taking you to Italy? Well, it's really that that it's taking me to uh, Manchester, England, okay. on the twenty third of June, and the people that sponsored that conference uh, paid for me to go across the ocean for uh, for an extra seventy dollars. I. I went three weeks in advance to go to Italy, and 
the Awakening Conference in Manchester has me with Nick Pope, David Icke, and Travis Walton. So I'm like the token woman there. <laughs> and I'm going to be speaking there on the 23rd of June. And then I fly. I, in, I'm leaving early. I'm leaving the 1st of June so I can go to Rome and I can visit with my office. Uh, my uh, magazine is X Times and all the people from that magazine, and, and, and I worked for them for many years, are in Rome. And then I will go to northern Italy to the Italian Alps to do a conference uh, near Turin, you know, Torino. Um, and, and, and I'm going to cover, I want to cover the Antonio Uzi case. He's the contactee that takes the most amazing uh, film footage uh, uh, of, of UFOs in broad daylight from mm-hmm. his, uh, from his uh, attic window and i want i'm also going to speak in turin on um on the giant rock uh you know contactees of the 50s and 60s because as you know scott i really am adamant about saying that uh, some of our visitors are human type people mm-hmm. uh, paula this brings up that you've spent so many years in this from a early assistant to dr j ellen Heineck. Uh, all the way to present, have your thoughts changed, evolved, or morphed about the UFO phenomenon? All of it, all of the above, which is the name of one of my books. Mm-hmm. And they've cha- changed, evolved, and morphed. Um, mm-hmm. What I see uh, is that uh, in the cover-up, is that the powers that be want us to remain with the little gray clone that Colonel Corso talked about um, in the abduction scenario and won't get us off the fact that um, there are people visiting us from other planets and other dimensions. And the way that I arrived at that is Latin America. I began to study us Giant Rock and Van Tassel and Menger and Adamski and I realized that those people were coming off the ships in the 1950s and 60s to warn us about our nuclear capacity to, uh, to destroy ourselves and uh, wanted us to change our economy from a war economy to a space economy. And what's happened is that we have remained in the little gray alien world of UFOs, which is crazy because there, is pe- there are people and have been people visiting not only the United States, also Italy uh, and uh, France and other places. But for the most part in the 70s, they came to Latin America with Sisto Paz, uh, Ricardo Gonzalez, uh, and uh, Enrique Villanueva, you know, all these contactees that were in Peru. So I'm, I had to change my mind. I realized that for some reason we weren't getting contacts from people people, people, and that um, we that I had to go to other countries to see what was happening, and I realized, because they have so many witnesses, that the they are being contacted by space people with some real viable messages, Scott, especially about our ecology, mm-hmm. that the planet is suffering ecologically, and we're not looking at it. I, uh, I have morphed into a... Uh religious, spiritual, theological uh, position over the years. And I have tried to collect what learned people have said, um, including the the Catholic Church, uh, 
in a couple of sources on UFOs and ETs. And when I hear the theologians talking about this grand design of the Creator and how there uh, are the uh, possibilities of of multiple life forms out there uh, that are all created by the Creator. And then I compare from the 1980s to present the reports that we've had of the horrific stuff, the, the abduction is almost too kind, the experimentation, all the, the, uh, the, uh, the horror stories of people and contact, and it started me wondering, is there somebody behind the helm that's orchestrating this flow of information? Because we've got the theologians, the big thinkers, th- saying the exact opposite of what a lot of the quote-unquote research uh, has, has shown. Uh, yourself uh, exempted from that. Your comments, Paula? Well, I have morphed into a spiritual uh, road also, but I, I, because I'm beginning to see unity, more unity than disparity, and also I realized from the messages, even coming out of Latin America, that they want, they want the end of separation. They want unity uh, on this planet. And that the uh, raising of human consciousness, in other words, our growing up, our being aware, our mm-hmm. being responsible for our brothers uh, all over the world is what they're waiting for. Because unless we have a growth in consciousness, Scott, and that's why I do Laughlin. Laughlin is the only consciousness-based conference there is. I mean, that's the mission. And everybody that talks, everybody that's involved is, is, is talking about consciousness. And, uh, and that includes the great Colin Andrews that opened the conference last year, the crop circle researcher. His book, The, uh, the Edge of Reality, is all about consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so, that, yeah, I've morphed into that. I realize that's why they want us. They want us to grow. Otherwise, we can't have any dialogue with them. And it's, it's about time. I think it's about time. We've, the, the Vatican's known this forever. Uh, they've, they basically are trying to manage it into a, a way that it's palatable for, for you know, the, the people, millions of people in the world. But they know the truth. They know it's about consciousness. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping, uh, you know, that we can bring awareness to the world, you know, more awareness. People that come out of Laughlin are very inspired. So my big, my big sentence is, you know, we have enough information. Let's get some inspiration. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Laughlin, Nevada event takes place at the Aquarius Casino and Resort. And uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you go to Starworks... USA.com, you'll see the speaking schedule, uh, the incredible work that Paula has gone to already to try to line up these people from around the world. If you look at other conferences, you'll see um, the regularly appearing three to five people that show up all over the world. Uh, Paula has people from other parts of the world that you may never have heard of but have an important message. Uh, they are dedicating their lives to getting this word out. Uh, so 
you'll hear inspiring stuff from your seat in the, the conference room, but you'll also be able to meet a lot of people, rub shoulders with people during the three days, um, share meals with them, conversations, build friendships. Um, there was a researcher that recently posted uh, an article saying, you know, are, are conferences uh, outdated? Have we outgrown them? Are they even needed anymore? And for those that wish to rely solely on an electronic existence, maybe for them it has. But for the rest of us, the social aspect, you can't replace that without being at one of these events. Um, I can think, Paula, of the people that I've met at your events I've gone to that I wouldn't have met had I just sat at home and looked at a computer monitor and tried to watch video. These are uh, real live folks that you can share their presence, ask questions, spend time with. Uh, there's nothing quite like it. Yeah, and I want to add, Scott, that I'm getting ready to announce. I have to get a contract from him. I think I've gotten uh, Emery Smith to agree to come. And, you know, on Gaia, Emery Smith is talking about his involvement with the um, black projects, especially in the biomedical, doing um, tissue samples on beings, uh, talking about different beings. And he is telling the truth. I mean, I, he was working with Dr. Stephen Greer when I met him six years ago and has been very brave coming forth and talking about uh, not only the cosmic cultures, but what, his, what the government cover-up is all about. And it's much, much greater than we can ever imagine. So when I get him for sure to commit, I will talk to people, but he's, a 95% in in Laughlin, and it will be major if Emory is there. Uh, take a look at the website, Starworks USA. That's starworksusa.com, and you'll get all the information, how to register, the speakers, the, uh, the whole event's right there. Paula, what are you doing for the rest of the weekend? Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, right now it's raining in Colorado, so it's going to come your way for the weekend. It's going to rain on Saturday and Sunday, so it'll, it'll be coming your way. But I, uh, I have uh, a couple of Skype interviews I'm doing with some friends, uh, meeting friends later on. Of course, there's always Mother's Day. There's Mother's Day on Sunday, so I'm spending that with my children. Uh, Paula, happy Mother's Day. Well, thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for everything you do, too. Okay, my friend. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Uh, we're always the better for, for talking with you, Paula. Take good care. All right. Thanks so much. You take care, too. Paula Harris. Here's that website for Paula. It's P-A-O-L-A, PaulaHarris.com. And uh, what a woman. What an amazing woman. We're going to take a short break. I will collect myself here along with, I think Jim's already collected, and uh, oh, yeah. we'll be back with uh, more conversation. Our main guest, Michael Brine, UFOs and High Strangeness is the program theme today. I'm Scott Colborn, and you're listening to Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. 
Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from Eagle Printing and Sign at 14th and N in downtown Lincoln. In business for over 20 years, Eagle offers a variety of printing services for first-time customers to long-time professionals, plus creative and design services. More at 402-476-8156 and eagleprintingandsign.com. And... Pinewood Bowl Theater, presenting the Great Pinewood Bluegrass Festival on Sunday, May 20th at the Pinewood Bowl Theater in Lincoln's Pioneers Park. With horseshoes and hand grenades, mandolin orange, the devil makes three, and green sky bluegrass. Tickets at Ticketmaster.com. This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And... My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing Black Mountain River. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty and you guys and gals. We are exploring unexplained phenomena with the help of Jack Reacher Coffee and sheer determination and willpower. Our that's, special guest... That's all you need. Our special guest from someplace out there, as he points to the... Pacific Northwest, is our good friend Michael Brine. Michael is the author of multiple books, most recently, The Road to Strange, UFOs, Aliens, and High Strangeness, and The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond, both books co-authored with our friend Rosemary Ellen Guiley. Michael's also done an incredible series of travel guides, Michael Bryan's Travel Guides to Sightseeing by Public Transportation. And so people that travel around the world, uh, they go to Michael Bryan's website, and he's got travel guides on how to see the top 50 visitor attractions in the world's most popular cities and how to do so by public transportation. He's also the author of Travel Tales, Women Alone, The Me Too of Travel. He's been on the program twice, September 23rd last year, March 17th of this year. And it's great to have Michael come back for a, a wide-ranging discussion on UFOs and high strangeness. 
Michael, how's your morning going? Not bad. Just uh, got myself a, a bunch of coffee, and uh, I'm all excited, and here I am, and all ready for the program. <laughs> You're our kind of guy. That's what I start my day off with, too, is a bunch of coffee. <laughs> Hey, so uh, last night I looked at both books again, and I thought uh, in addition to wherever we want to go with the conversation, I want to ask you about some specific stories uh, that you had, uh, some of your personal experiences. Sure, Uh, sure. Michael, tell us where you were born and raised at. I grew up in Philadelphia, uh, just uh, kind of out in the suburbs. Philadelphia in an area that's kind of famous for a number of uh, uh, what they call mainline colleges like Haverford, Swarthmore, and Bryn Mawr. Really interesting area outside of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and did you have any early childhood experiences with the with the strange, the weird, the wonderful, the wild, the paranormal? I did. Uh, and it's really peculiar because I remember I was in a crib. So I had to be under five, I guess, or four or three. You know, who knows? But I, I recall being in my crib and looking towards my window and the Venetian blinds were all the way down. And suddenly I saw what looked like a green elf come through the Venetian blinds and disappear right into my toy's closed closet. And of course then I had absolutely no idea what it was or what it could be. And of course now I have no idea what it was or what it could have been. <laughs> A green elf, huh? Really strange. Yes. And it doesn't resemble any of the typical, stereotypically typical alien depictions. But it was something and I perceived it. Maybe it was the beginning of a wake-up call that in my life I was going to have some unusual experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, that's probably the first one. Michael, when I was a kid uh, on Pepper Avenue, I shared a, a bedroom with my brother, and there was circus wallpaper. Uh, and so during the day... I see where this is going. <laughs> you had a chance to look at the circus, you know, the merry-go-rounds, the clowns, the... The gaiety, the 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 fun that any kid would just love, but when the lights went clowns? out, well, no, yeah, I didn't have any photo about clowns. That's yeah, no, no problem. But when the when the lights went out, there were nights that I swore that some of the faces and some of the people on the wall, some of them moved, and uh, so seeing that thinking it was a nightmare, I would go out to my parents. They were seated on the couch watching uh, Jack Parr, a late-night talk program. And they they would allow me to sit with them until I got kind of sleepy again. And uh, in later years, they said, oh, that was a ruse that you used, Scott, to come out and, and resist going to bed. But I distinctly uh, remember the, the circus wallpaper and some of the people in the faces moving around like they shouldn't be doing. So mm-hmm. so you had developed a vivid imagination even back then. Did you have uh, 
fast forward a little bit in your life, did you have a experience that gave you kind of a glimpse of what you wanted to do when you got to be older, a.k.a. as an adult? Well, um, not so much that, but an early realization, maybe I was 14, mm-hmm. and I, I took notice of this new happening that was going on. The people were reporting flying saucers, you know? And I thought, what is that? And I remember it was either a Life Magazine article or Look Magazine, I'm not sure exactly which one it was, but it had this big article on UFOs. I guess it something caught my attention, and I thought to myself, this is really important. This seems important. And I stuck with it, you mm-hmm. know, into adulthood and where I am now. And you developed uh, tangentially a interest in travel that uh, I, yeah. I I have to have wondered that that puts you into unique places with unique people where you could ask the questions like, so have you ever seen anything um, unusual in the sky? And Michael, you've well, been you've been all that. over the world. So you've had a chance to, to ask that question of so many people in so many different places. I did, but it's interesting. Uh, I kind of went in two different directions. Mm-hmm. The first thing was I got very interested in the idea of travel. You know, what is travel about? It wasn't so much that I loved doing it myself. I certainly was bitten by the travel bug. But I had a very inquisitive mind early on, and I thought to myself, why don't I learn what travel is all about? It seems to be an important activity in our lives where mostly all of us are interested in it to some extent. So I took that tap and studied it, made it actually a field of study. As far as I know, I'm the only travel psychologist in the world. I coined the term. At the same time, from the age of, like I was saying, 13, 14, or 15, I took notice of the UFO phenomenon, and I started to make kind of an independent study of that. I was very inquisitive. And so parallel to this love of travel and wanting to understand it, I also had that track on ufology as well. I wanted to know what is this all about, what does it mean, it seems important. Mm-hmm. And uh, so both of those uh, directions took hold of me, took firmly hold of me in my future direction. Mm-hmm. You've you've been places that have been heavily populated. You've been places in the world that are very sparse, where uh, certainly the animals would outnumber the the, the people. Uh, what have people reported to you regarding UFOs or high strangeness? Uh, can you think of some stories that that have been shared, uh, maybe over a beverage or quite literally over a campfire someplace? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so I also want to say that some, I did something that uh, Forrest Gump would have done. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I see myself, I see a lot of parallels between myself and Forrest Gump. Oh, For example, I don't, I don't know why, but I started recording people's experiences. I started taping them. I lugged around like a big tape recorder and I had to beg people. 
I'll be right back with my tape recorder. Please don't go away. Please let me record your story. And, you know, sometimes they disappear. I get back. Where, well, where'd they go? Uh, but other times, and up to the present, I gravitated all the way to my iPhone, doing interviews on the iPhone. But So anyway, like Forrest Gump would have done, I amassed something like 1,800 to 2,000 recorded interviews of generally asking people, have you had any really unusual experiences? Good, wonderful, uh, enlightening, sad, horrible, scary, dangerous, the whole realm of human experience. And people are eager to tell you about them. Mm -hmm. So I began to record these things. And about, I would say, like 5% of the stories people would tell, hey, I had this really strange, unusual experience. And some of them would be paranormal. And some of them would be UFO related. Mm -hmm. So that's how I amassed a whole bunch of UFO stories, as well as paranormal, as well as a hundred or so other categories. Mm -hmm. And that's why when you were reading out my list of books, one of them was safety and security of women traveling. Well, I discovered after listening to, for example, all this Me Too phenomena developing in the U.S., that I had a lot of accounts of women and young girls really dealing with uh, men in situations and travel. But anyway, getting back to the UFO story, I remember being on a boat on the Amazon River, taking an Amazon River tour of guys working on the boat, sitting down with me and telling me about UFO experiences that were going on in the jungles of Brazil. Mm -hmm. uh, I had people tell me when I was in Peru, oh, that big lake, Lake Titicaca. Oh, yeah, last week there was an article about these two boys that were walking along the side of the lake, and, and a UFO rose out of it. Uh, I've heard UFO stories virtually anywhere I've traveled, a mix of those, along with, again, many, many other experiences that people had. Now, these were not necessarily all travelers. These were often people that uh, I would meet in, say, the circumstances of the boat crews on the Amazon, and actually, I was in Zimbabwe uh, slightly later than when uh, the famous John Mack, the Harvard psychiatrist who got heavily involved in alien abduction work, mm -hmm. uh, he had just gone to Zimbabwe to that school where, where, where the bunch of kids, school kids and, and teachers, had uh, that unusual UFO experience that took place in Zimbabwe. I think it was around like 1994. Mm -hmm. And I had just traced the same places as John Mack had done when he was down in Africa, actually interviewing, working on that case. Another person I interviewed, I, I often interviewed fairly famous ufologists of the day, and I had the great opportunity to spend a whole day with J. Allen Hynek. Oh, wonderful. And I was taking him around Honolulu, and he was, having a meeting that I was involved with. And I interviewed J. Allen Hynek virtually about his career and how he went from a debunker and skeptic for the whitewashed, alleged whitewashed uh, Project Blue Book to his complete turnaround and listened to him tell me about some of the profound cases that he investigated. So I made it a habit of collecting UFO stories, paranormal stories, and all sorts of things that happened to travelers, because that's the way I felt I would learn about it, mm -hmm. by talking to people and getting first-hand accounts. 
from people. This is Michael Brine. His last uh, name is spelled B-R-E-I-N. His website is easy to find. It's his first and last name, Michael Brine, B-R-E-I-N, dot com. You'll also find him on Facebook. And uh, I'm holding his first co-authored book with Rosemary, The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond. And underneath that is the brand new one, The Road to Strange, UFOs, Aliens, and High Strangeness. And you've just heard Michael say, folks, that he's got this incredible depth, this archive. Uh, so there's a lot more stories coming. Uh, there, there are probably more books coming. Am I right, Michael? I want to say more than all the grains of sand <laughs> on the earth. <laughs> but not quite that many. And yeah, there will be more books coming. Ladies and gentlemen, you also, uh, in so many words, heard Michael say that the UFO mystery is not solely a United States mystery. It's not solely a Western Hemisphere mystery. The UFO phenomenon, that mystery, circumnavigates the entire world. And would you venture a guess, Michael, has it been here just since 1947? Or are we looking at a phenomenon that's been with us for a, a lot longer than that? I want to use the expression time immemorial. It, they could have been here way longer than, than we even can imagine. I mean, there are civilizations that are millions of years. Okay, more conversation coming up with Michael Bryan. And, Michael, again, it's so good to, to have you here and to hang out with you. Um, it's so much fun. I remember the old days coming to Lincoln, Nebraska, to your great conferences in the day. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'd love to get you out to that Laughlin event that Paula Harris and I were talking about. <laughs> I, th I think you'd enjoy a lot of those folks. I'm sure I would. Michael Bryan, conversation about UFOs and high strangeness. I'm Scott Colborn. With me over here is my buddy, Jim Shorney. Uh, we've got Jack Reacher coffee in our cups. And uh, we're going to top them off during this break. We'll be back with more conversation with Michael. You bet. Stay tuned for more Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason and Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com. And Pinewood Bowl Theater, presenting the Great Pinewood Bluegrass Festival on Sunday, May 20th at the Pinewood Bowl Theater in Lincoln's Pioneers Park. With horseshoes and hand grenades, mandolin orange, the devil makes three, and green sky bluegrass. 
Tickets at Ticketmaster.com. May 31st is Give to Lincoln Day, a citywide day of charitable giving to support the nonprofits that make Lincoln a great place to live. This is KZUM Cares, a special segment this month highlighting some of those organizations. St. Monica's is a short-term therapeutic residential community committed to the recovery of women through empowerment, stability, and self-fulfillment. Since 1964, the nonprofit has assisted women of all ages through intensive outpatient mental health and substance abuse care, an early childhood program, and Project Mother and Child. By offering a safe place to heal, St. Monica's works to build healthier, happier lives for women and their families. Offering care on a sliding income-based fee scale, St. Monica's serves women regardless of race, religion, sexual orientation, economic status, or education. To find out more, call toll-free 866-836-2667 or visit stmonicas.com. This has been KZUM Cares, a special presentation that highlights a new local nonprofit every day in May to celebrate Give to Lincoln Day, the citywide day of charitable giving to benefit the many organizations that make Lincoln a great place to live, is Thursday, May 31st. For more on Give to Lincoln Day, visit kzum.org. My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But big brothers, big sisters give me a real role model. And the young me needed a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Next week's guest, Richard Sewell. Uh, Nebraskan Bigfoot Research. And looking forward to that conversation with Richard Sewell. Our guest this morning is Michael Brine. Michael's the author of a brand new book on women and travel, Travel Tales, Women Alone, The Me Too of Travel. He's also done the very popular series, Michael Bryan's Travel Guides to Sightseeing by Public Transportation. And of course, the two books co-authored with Rosemary Langeli, The Road to Strange, UFOs, Aliens, and High Strangeness, and The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond. Uh, Michael, uh, mm-hmm. I was involved with a group of people that uh, claimed to have face-to-face close encounters. The group started in 1988, and I was the guy that ordered the pizza for the group, turned the lights on, unlocked the door, kind of oversaw things, if you will. And I heard uh, incredible 
very, very moving stories. One gentleman talked about working in a South Lincoln Industrial Park, working third shift. So his lunch break happened to be the middle of the night. He'd go out and sit on the loading dock. This is a very busy part, even at night. Uh, Highway 2, Highway 77, the junction right there. Um, State Patrol headquarter building right across the street. So lots of activity, but he claimed that he would sit out there and watch UFOs. And part of me said, mm-hmm. yeah, if, if you're seeing UFOs nightly, then why aren't we hearing more about it? Because there's so many people traveling on those two highways, state patrol buildings right there. You know, why aren't more people talking about it? So part of me wanted to believe, but part of me had some doubt and problems. And then, Michael, I had my own experience in about 1991, driving home from my former bookstore, literally right there on Highway 2 in front of the Nebraska State Patrol building, I saw a triangular series of lights that were hovering over the State Patrol building, three to 500 feet up in the air. And the long and short of it is, is that I couldn't rationally, prosaically explain what it was that I saw that night. So I had to reevaluate my friend, his name also is Michael, his reports of seeing these UFOs nightly just several blocks away from where I saw this triangular series of lights. Is the phenomenon, does it interact with us in such a way that out of thousands of people that could be someplace, there are one or two that happen to to either notice or get alerted to it? Is there some interaction, you think, that takes place with our awareness or even our consciousness? Uh, I would have to agree with that. 100% 100% because uh, in the number of the cases, the stories that we have in our UFO book, Rosemary, Ellen Dowley, and myself, a number of them are people, even a pair of people at a time, who have an extraordinary experience, and they cannot understand why does it seem, why is it so, number one, that nobody else seems to be paying attention. Mm-hmm. And two, how is it that sometimes these shared experiences or, or individual experiences occur on normally busy stretches of road, but there's no one else around, apparently? So I have no doubt that this, I'm going to use the word play, that this plays with our consciousness. I have no doubt that uh, part of the phenomena uh, knows exactly how to selectively interact uh, with people given normally crowded and busy situations. Mm-hmm. So you can have a shared experience with someone else, and yet others may not even notice it. And on the other hand, we all know of sightings and experiences and reports of many people uh, seeing things in the sky and witnessing 
event. So it appears there is some kind of manipulation of space and time, as we would define it, uh, in ways that we're just not ready to understand. And who knows when and if we will ever have the capability of grasping this. It could be one million years from now, our science one million years from now, rather than 21st century science. We're certainly going to learn more. I hope that we make it that far, Michael. <laughs> and that's, no, that's you know, that's that's actually a question that uh, if these people, these sentient beings, are a million years ahead of us in their development, evolution, wouldn't it stand to reason that they have already worked through some of those developmental stages to have gotten there, uh, perhaps those same stages that we're working through right now as human beings. You would think so. One would think so. And isn't there a factor in the famous Drake equation of the equation where they try to estimate how many civilizations there are, that one of the factors is that the civilization, civilization has to have survived long enough to overcome its survival issues, mm. like self-destruction. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure that counts for a number of societies having disappeared from the universe. Mm-hmm. Robert Hastings is a noted researcher who has, has collected uh, uh, many, many reports of UFOs being interested in our uh, nuclear weapons, in our missile defense systems, the 1980 Bent Waters Woodbridge Rendlesham Forest UFO events. It came to light after the fact that I believe it was on Bent Waters that that uh, NATO Air Force Base that we were primarily staffing there on British soil that we were storing without the British <laughs> being aware of it, we were storing nuclear weapons there. Mm-hmm. So, do you, do you think these, uh, these civilizations, when they show up in and around nuclear sites, missile delivery systems, is there, is there a a message, something that we can draw from that. If, if well, isn't that, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, if, if we look oh, at, okay. if we look at that as being kind of the language of, uh, of a play, if you will, what are we to make of, of that interest or interaction? Because it's not just once, it happens with regularity. And not only to us, it's happened, I I understand, uh, from reading to to the Russians as well. (laughs) So, you know, it's interesting. And I like to think, Scott, I like to think that at the highest levels of our government, the Russians, the British, the French, the Chinese, I like to think that somewhere on planet Earth, the powers that be in these major countries, sit down together and say, you know, 
I guess we're all aware this exists. They're here. They don't want us to have a nuclear war. Uh, so we've got to cooperate. Remember President Ronald Reagan's famous speech at the United Nations and several times thereafter that said if we were threatened by some force outside the earth, wouldn't we forget our differences and come together, more or less? Mm-hmm. And, you know, nobody stopped him from making that speech. And yet, isn't that exactly the question that we're dealing with right at this moment? Is it possible that Ronald Reagan knew that at the highest levels that we Earth powers have to cooperate and simply have to get along and simply have to end the nuclear threat of annihilation because maybe there will be an intervention of some kind. And I'd like to think that even could be be behind the North Korean so-called rapport with the United States right now. I'd like to think that, you know, we are all coming together in some way at, a, at the highest level. That's my hope. I don't know if that's true. And this phenomenon, if it interacts with the common people, you're a special guy. I, if you'll allow me to call you, as I would myself, a common person, okay. this phenomenon would also probably, I would guess, interact with military, with elected officials, with politicians, perhaps even with world leaders. You just kind of wonder what's going on behind the scenes sometimes. There's a lot of swamps that need to be drained, I'm afraid. (laughs) Yes. Do you remember the old story that I think was... was, uh, Circa Bud Hopkins, where he was talking about investigations into the Kathy Davis case and the Brooklyn Bridge and um, the night that the traffic on the Brooklyn Bridge all stopped and cars wouldn't move and people wondered what had happened to their cars and some witnesses saw a high-rise apartment building and a craft hovering over that. a person being pulled or taken somehow out of a window in a beam of light. It was rumored that in that general area, I want to use the the general description, on a side street underneath or near that bridge, it was rumored that the then-Secretary General, Pierre de Cuellar, Mm -hmm. was in his limo with... Uh, security personnel, their limo had also ceased to function and that they were at least part of the party was out of the car and they were also witnessing this UFO event. Remember that yeah, story? Uh, I sure do. And, and I keep thinking about that in retrospect. And I remember, you know, if there's such a thing as synchronicity, then this would have had to have been an arranged synchronicity for all these events to be taking place simultaneously and the effects that this all had. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would bring a spaceship and, and park it above a building 
in hugely busy New York City without the intention that several different players, not accidentally, but on purpose, would be witnessing something like this. But yet, you know, after all is said and done, that book kind of came and went, and to some extent it was criticized. But you and I both knew Bud Hopkins personally mm-hmm. and both uh, respected the work that he did uh, as incredible of what he did. And uh, so one wonders what is the net effect of all that. But in the least, if the head of the United Nations at that time was witness to these strange, bizarre events, it has to fit in with the overflights of faces kind of phenomenon as well, doesn't it? It goes mm-hmm. along with that. Mm-hmm. We have a recent... Um fairly dramatic thaw in world relations with North Korea. Uh, From just months ago, uh, world leaders sort of standing like 12-year-olds on a school ground, thumping their chest, saying, you know, I'm going to beat you up and your grandmother wears combat boots, to now we've got this uh, thankful, thankful move towards hopefully, towards peace. So I've wondered if um, some back-channel stuff has been shared with North Korea, just exactly what we're talking about. That well, make- it's an interesting theory, isn't it, Scott? I mean, it's possible. Uh, wouldn't it be possible? I mean, he has everything to gain for his country by being a friend to everybody in the world rather than a pariah. Yes. Uh, so maybe he sees the wisdom of this. Let's hope so. Michael, try, try this on for size, and I want to ask you about a, a, a story in your first book, uh, The Ashland Connection okay. here. Uh, try this Uh-oh. on for size. This is um, Scott Colborn's take on the UFO phenomenon. Uh, this is in addition to the argument of whether or not some UFOs are real, some are piloted by intelligent beings. This is a sidebar. A world game of poker, it's five-card stud. That's four cards down and, excuse me, one card down, four cards up. And so you're left guessing what that down card is because you can see the four, four cards up. And there are world players, United States, uh, Great Britain, um, third alleged third world countries, but there's a bunch of players at this table. And everybody looks at that down card that the U.S., maybe also Britain has, and the players say, oh, now, don't have much at all, uh-uh. But they give another impression that they do have a whole bunch and that down card is pretty, pretty potent. So we've got government sources saying uh, no big deal about the UFO phenomenon. We closed Blue Book in 69, no threat to national security, you know, uh, ridicule, etc. But then we also have government back channels talking about continuing high-level interest in the UFO phenomenon, even allegations of taking some of the materials to try to jumpstart our technological base with them. 
And uh, so the game of five-card stud, I mean, maybe North Korea is one of those players now, and maybe they've kind of speculated about that down card that, that we've got. What do you think about that five-card stud analogy? There's the unknown. The, the, the down card seems to be the unknown, and the question is, does anybody know the unknown? Uh, is Are they bluffing if they know what their card is or what, what the unknown is? Mm-hmm. You know? Well, you think with all the paranormal abilities <laughs> out there, that some of us might have some kind of indication of what that might be. A remote viewing. A remote viewing, the ability to uh, project one's consciousness and get information from a far distance. Um, that was a big thing at one point, wasn't mm-hmm. it? There were people, Ingo Swan, that seemed to have these uncanny abilities to uh, discern the unknown in certain circumstances. Uh, I'd like to not have all are best hedged by hoping that the unknown is the one that's going to bring us peace and prosperity. Uh, you know, it's more important that that we solve problems rather than hope that there's a solution awaiting us, if that makes any sense. Uh, I... I really, really hope that we're not a bumbling group of fools around the world dealing with unknowns, not accepting these unknowns, avoiding them, not being open to the possibility of things beyond our understanding, uh, that there probably is a UFO presence that has agendas, and to understand and accept that and deal with it and learn about it. I'd like to think that that's what's happening at the highest level. But sometimes when you look at uh, these disclosure aims and you see we get little fits and starts that it appears that we're going to get serious government disclosure of what's known. Mm-hmm. I, I, hope, I hope there are people in the government, the world government, that, that do understand this more and, and, and know how important it is to educate the public about it, maybe in appropriate steps. Uh, I hope it's a knowledgeable, uh, effective group of people who are regulating the flow of this information in a responsible way rather than bumbling with it. You know, we, we could be just subject to bumbling or we could be subject to knowledgeable expertise. I don't know quite yet which it is. Michael, I heard your interview with Rob McConnell on the X-Zone radio show uh, uh, Thursday night. I listened to that archive, and you brought up uh, uh, the uh, National Press Club event. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think in my mind's eye. Was that 2003? I think it was. I think I read somewhere that it was like 17 years ago, like, 2001. 2000. I'm not okay. Certain of that around that era. The the it point I want to get like to yesterday is, to me. It, yeah. I know me also. The point I want to get to is that I, I think you said that very eloquently that we had um, an event with very very 
credible sources. And a lot of us held our breaths to see what would happen, what the response would be from the world press, the media. Are we still holding our breath, Michael? We are. We're turning blue. We really are. Uh, like I say, I believe that it comes in fits and starts. But ever since and before that, I never heard such a collection of responsible, believable, skilled, experienced witnesses as spoke on that day, mm-hmm. including FAA authorities, uh, government officials, pilots, uh, responsible people in the military and the, and the public. Never heard a collection of people like that. And yet, I don't recall that much having resulted from it. Do you? No. I, as, as we just agreed that we're still holding our breath. Um, we right. seem to, with world media, we cover death, war, taxes, rape, plunge, uh, pillar, uh, murder. Uh, we cover that every single day. But something like this uh, is just, uh, for much of that media, just a big yawn. Uh, Michael, I've got to take the bottom of the hour break, and I want to come back and ask you about the Ashland Connection. I am very interested in synchronicities, and uh, I think this is a fun story. You've actually had, I know you personally share with me several synchronicities that so far are not in print. I hope to, to see those sometime too, but let's come back and talk about the Ashland Connection. Okay. Michael Bryan, his website is his first and last name, Michael Bryan, B-R-E-I-N, dot com. The author with Rosemary Ellen Guiley of The Road to Strange, UFOs, Aliens, and High Strangeness, and The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond. He's got uh, travel guides out. He's also the author, and I believe this is an e-book form, uh, travel Tales, Women Alone, The Me Too of Travel. Michael, also print on demand, Scott. Okay, thank you for adding that. I didn't know that. That's good to know. Yeah. com. We'll be right back. Jim Shorty, Scott Colborne, and you guys and gals, in memory of our, our friend uh, Dick Noble, who passed this last Thursday, former general manager for KZUM, what an incredible guy. I'm the better for having known Dick. Stay tuned for more conversation right after this. Fat chance you'll survive. You're thinking. 
Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska. KZUM Lincoln and KZUM HD. Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from The Bay, The Bourbon Theater, Duffy's Tavern, and The Zoo Bar. This is live music happening this week in Lincoln. On Saturday, May 12th, Sidewalk Chalk returns to The Zoo Bar at 9 with Josh Hoyer and Soul Colossal. And support local volume two starts at nine at the Bourbon Theater with Indigenous AK, Midwest Marcus, Jay Strong, and more. That's what's happening this week in Lincoln. The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock in one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Sheska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore new worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. KZUM's How's It Growing Garden Talks and Nature Walk series continues on Saturday, May 19th, when KZUM and the Southern Heights Food Forest present The Hills Are Alive a soil-building workshop from 10 a.m. to noon at the Southern Heights Food Forest at 40th and Old Cheney. Join me, Bob Henriksen, from How's It Growing and a number of experts who will show you how to create raised beds and improve soil fertility and water retention using techniques like culter and mushroom blocks. That's Saturday, May 19th, 10 a.m. at the Southern Heights Food Forest. Find out more at kzum.org. Far from the din of commercial culture and just this side of the abstract is a place I call Mesoterra. I'm Vic Valverde, your tour guide for an eclectic musical excursion on a program called Mesoterra. Saturdays, 12 noon until 1.30, right here on KZUM. Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. And uh, Michael, can you tell us about the Ashland Connection? This is from your first book, The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond. Sure. Uh, I had, among my personal kinds of paranormal experiences, a lot of synchronicities. Many of us have them, and you get to notice them more sometimes. When you're traveling, for example, when you run into the same person in the oddest places Mm -hmm. two or three times, I had a lot of those. We all have those to some extent. But what happens when you have an experience that is so unlikely that you can pull up that analogy, uh, that example of one grain of sand in all the grains of sand on the earth, the chances. What are the chances of a synchronicity that has many components to it happening to anyone, let alone me. But I'll tell you the story. It goes back to my high school days. I was kind of a scientific, nerdy kind of a guy, geeky, and I wound up going into chemical engineering at Carnegie Mellon University, then known as Carnegie Tech, and I left after a year, went to Temple University, studied psychology, uh, and that was my calling. Okay, so now let's fast forward 40-some years on my days in Pittsburgh, and I am now living in Ashland, Oregon, and, and I'm on my way to a book fair, 
in New York City uh, to show my travel guide, you know, to various book buyers and whatnot in New York City. So I get on United Airlines flight Southern Oregon, and I grab the Hemispheres magazine. This is the end of May. Put it in my attache case with the thought, maybe I can contact them and they can say something nice about my travel guide series. Maybe they can review it. So I land in Philadelphia, visit my sister. This is the end of May. Take the train on the way up to New York City. And on the train, I happen to look out the window. I happen to see the name of a town on a sign. And the sign said, Rahway, New Jersey. And you know, a lot of us do this. It's kind of silly. But the thought I had is, I remember somebody from Rahway, New Jersey. That was the senior in the fraternity at Carnegie Tech, Carnegie Mellon. Mm-hmm. His name was Jan Chaikin. I remember him. And that's it. That was the thought. It's all the time. Went to New York City, did the book fair for a few days, and I am now on the airplane, United Flight, going back to uh, Oregon, Bedford, Oregon, and I grabbed the June issue. So I arrived in May, and I'm leaving like June 1st or June 2nd. The June issue of Hemispheres Magazine put it in my out-of-state case. I now arrive home in Ashland, Oregon after that uh, week trip, shall we say. And there's a pile of mail on the kitchen counter waiting for me. I had a friend bring the mail up. And there's a big white envelope, and it says Hemispheres. Ah, that's the magazine from United. I open it up. There's a copy of the magazine, the same one I had in my out-of-state case. The May issue or the June issue, I don't remember which, opened to page 24 or whatever that was. I opened it up, and there it is, a review of my travel guide. Can't believe it. Wow. What a coincidence, huh? Okay, that's not the end of it. I now go upstairs to my loft office, and inside I'll go on the Internet now, check my emails. Did I get any travel guide orders while I was at this book fair? And lo and behold, there's a few orders. Usually they're from all over the world. You know, Egypt, France, Spain, Mexico, America. There's an order from Ashland, Oregon. My God, I never had an order on the Internet from just around the corner. That's weird. So I open it up, and uh, I decide, well, I'm going to play a trick on these people. I'm going to call them and say, would you like me to personally hand-deliver these to you at your door? Or do you want to come up to my llama ranch and see that? And by the way, are you the same Jan Chaikin from Rahway, New Jersey? And the response was, I would be that Jan Chaikin. That was the person I thought of when I saw the Rahway, New Jersey song. What in the world? Why would they be living in Ashland, Oregon? That could be anywhere in the world. What are they doing ordering my travel guide? What is, are they doing in Hemispheres magazine? And they said, oh, me, my wife and I, we're statisticians. We were statisticians for the New York Transit Authorities compiling transit crime statistics by station, and we happened to see the review in the Hemisphere magazine about your guide. Now, he didn't remember me right then and there, but... They came over, had a great visit at the ranch, and we talked about this unbelievable synchronicity. And they said they were statisticians. They appreciated the fact that you could have such a rare, impossible synchronicity as this. 
So what do you make of that, God? I think it's a, a fantastic story. I am so interested in synchronicity. And as you've just uh, shared with the listeners, sometimes there are level upon level, layer upon layer. Uh, I, what, what do you make of this, Michael? Well, I make of it as, uh, okay, Michael, you want a synchronicity? You want a good paranormal experience? You want a really good wake-up call? Here you go. Stuff get better than that. So it's absolutely, unequivocally convincing me that there's more to consciousness in the universe than we maybe can fully understand. Maybe we'll never understand it. There is another organizing principle, at least, going on in the universe, and it's not cause, simple cause and effect. It, it could be multilinear rather than linear, uh, and, you, uh, you know, I accept that. Remember, I had both my feet in the science sandbox, and I had the courage to step out of that sandbox and say, well, look at my own experiences. I've had things that science is not equipped today to deal with, and so should I reject it? No, I accept it, and I go with it. Mm-hmm. And that's ergo this series of books and the things you're hearing me say now. When you think about all those things that have to happen in that that implicate order, uh, the staging, the the delays, all that stuff, uh, I have to think in my heart of hearts the kind of a cartoon of a group of people that are part of the divine that are looking at this great big screen of this all playing out, and they're they're hooting, hollering, they're laughing, they're clapping their hands. What a joyous experience. Jim Shorty is here in the studio. Did you just hear Michael talk about having owned a llama, llama ranch? I did catch that, yes. So world traveler, author, Ph.D., and a guy who owned a llama ranch. And we, we actually have some people around here that have llamas, which... I was a, a little surprised the first time I saw that, but, uh, you know, I guess. <laughs> well, I came with the ranch, Scott. I, I didn't start raising llamas. I thought, wouldn't they make nice pets for friends coming up to visit the ranch to be greeted by these llamas? Because I'm a wild animal fan. I love Africa. I love seeing animals in the wilderness. And this just made me feel at home. Having these llamas come up to you, you give them a carrot, you know, they're, 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 they're friendly, and it's just nice. I just enjoyed that part of my life. This is totally off the subject, but uh, you lived uh, for a number of years in Hawaii. You've been probably following the news about the volcano eruption. Yeah, yes, I have. And I almost moved into a house. Uh, on the Big Island in the Lelani Estates area. I have friends that have a house there, and like I say, I was going to live there, but instead I decided to come to Bainbridge Island in the Pacific Northwest where I had family here. Mm-hmm. And uh, they still do not know the status of their house mm-hmm. and property. It's just a beautiful, gorgeous area. But everybody that lives there knows they live with this risk that it can happen. They can have... Uh, Madame Paley, uh, you know, erupt, and, and and in this case, it did happen there, and 
I just remember seeing one photo on the internet of, of lots of people sitting in the shelter with such sad, despondent-looking faces. It's just, I, I had to cry, actually. It's so sad, uh, and some of them are going to have to make radical adjustments to their lives, and others will overcome it okay. I uh, went with my family to uh, Oahu uh, in 1978, spent just two short, uh, just a week, and it forever changed me. I am, as Jim knows, I am wearing right now a Hawaiian shirt. Every single day. I wear one every single day. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's great. Um, uh, and, you know, interestingly, while you mentioned Hawaii, I do have a number of Hawaiian UFO cases uh, in uh, my UFO book and some paranormal Hawaii uh, incidents in the paranormal book. So I think the Hawaiian Islands certainly has its share of uh, these odd, strange, unusual experiences. Uh, this is from uh, Michael's latest book, co-authored with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, The Road to Strange, UFOs, Aliens, and High Strangeness. There is a chapter titled High Strangeness, and in our remaining time, Michael, tell us a little bit about okay. Escapade at Area 51. Oh, this, this is pathetic. It's funny. I mean, it's more funny than anything. You and I, of course, are really good friends with George Wingfield, mm-hmm. who, uh, whose claim to fame in the early days was he was an editor of one of the Crop Circle magazines, talking about the crop formations and the... Uh, in England, largely, and, and George and I became really, really good friends over the years and still are to this day. But anyway, George and I have taken a number of trips together, just had a great time, share these interests, our interest in these subjects. Well, <laughs> one day George and I were at Area 51, and then Glenn Campbell at the time, and that name is familiar to a lot of listeners, I'm sure. Glenn Campbell was uh, an expert, quote-unquote, quote-unquote, of the goings-on around Area 51, particularly the interface of people and whatnot. So he said, I'm going to take you up for a good view of Area 51. So he said, okay, we're all for that. And George and I knew Glenn. We're in his car, and we proceed to drive onto the BLM land. That's the public land. We never, ever intruded on official Area 51 territory. You do that with grave risk. And this is not something we wanted to push the envelope. But anyway, we were exploring the area. And Glenn has this detector uh, that will tell you when you, appro- when you approach these sensors that can tell whether a, an automobile, is, a car is, or a truck is driving in that area. But Glenn knew where they were. They were on a map. He'd unscrew these things. And then we'd go further. And then he'd go back and screw them on again and and so on and so forth. And all of a sudden, an alarm goes off. George is terrified. He's got this box in his hand. and screaming. The alarm is off the, 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 di- off the dial. And we're all terrified. Oh, my God, Glenn. We thought you knew where all these were. And he apparently has missed that one. So anyway, we get out of the car. We don't know what's next. And we begin to hear a womp, 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 womp. And there is a uh, Black Hawk helicopter overhead stirring up the dust. And, uh, and the sand blowing in our faces, wanting to dissuade us from going any further. And it looked like uh, they were filming us and 
poor George, being from England, had the look on his face, oh, my God, am I ever going to be allowed back in America again? So we hot-footed it out of there. That was uh, that was our experience with Area 51. Uh, it was more funny than anything else. Fortunately, nothing bad came of it. What do you suppose uh, on public Bureau of Land Management land, not on the reservation itself, what do you suppose uh, their motive was in trying to get you to, to turn around? Well, their motive was uh, do not go any further. We don't want you here. Whether they couldn't really literally throw you off of that land, but they wanted to discourage you from going any further. So it's just uh, interesting that the, that they would do this. Uh, since that time, they got more land under control by which to prevent people from going up there. Now, look, it's understandable if you have a top secret installation, you don't want people nosing around. There was a lot of people at the time who thought all kinds of UFO strange uh, things were going along, going on in relation to Area 51. Whether that's true or not, there certainly has been important defense work going on there. So, you know, they could discourage people by doing that on public land, and uh, some people would agree or disagree with that. But uh, it was one scary experience and, and sobering that there's serious stuff going on there, and they don't want you knowing what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Charles Hall, I've interviewed him at least six times on the show, written the book series oh. called the Millennial Hospitality Series. He claims in the mid-60s to have been stationed uh, at a base north of Indian Springs, Nevada. Um, excuse me. He was stationed at a sub-base, Indian Springs, Nevada, and then he would go out into the reservation restricted areas to these weather shacks, do weather observation, call it into Nellis Air Force Base, uh, and he claims face-to-face contact with a race of beings that he says he calls the tall whites. Charles, uh, a number of times, Michael, to my face said, if you went to Indian Springs in that area and set up a display of something that children would be interested in, that if you were there for a period of time, a few days, that the tall whites, because of their children, they would show up to take a look at this. If you if you knew this, would you like to take a trip with me, Michael? <laughs> I'll travel with you, Scott, anywhere, anytime, any place. That's interesting. I did not know Charles Halt was reporting things like this. If you, I would appreciate you sending me a link. Uh, you know, just some of these uh, books. I find that very, very interesting that he would say that. Uh, and then I only recall him really in the context of vampires. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is new to me. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting. What would be your answer to that? I've I've thought about. It. I've got a I've got a couple of friends right now that that have said um, that they on a moment's notice would pack a bag and go with me. Uh, I've thought about the ramifications of a contact event, uh, how that might 
uh, positively and negatively affect me. And with some family responsibilities right now, I have, I have held that to be considered at some future point. Um, so he has literally invited you to, to come along. Uh, Hall has not so much invited me personally, but he shared okay. uh, a number of times publicly on my show that he believes that these beings are still there that they are very interested in their children and their children are naturally inquisitive. If you had something that would be of interest to children and you were in that vicinity at a campground and whatever, that they would probably, they would probably be showing up. So that's very interesting, isn't it? You, you really have to think about this. Yeah, I, it, uh, well, very thought-provoking. And does he just say this nonchalantly? He said it pretty emphatically a number of times on the show that that uh, the base allegedly was built in the early 50s north of Indian Springs. Uh, it's a, if you will, kind of a way station for uh, transit in our part of the galaxy uh, if the, these beans are going from an A to a C, we would be the B, the stopover place. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more, Michael, about this. I just, you know, I'm sure people that have had a level of experience and or a intellectual background and in having read deeply in the subject have wondered about whether or not they would put themselves in a situation where there was an alleged guarantee of contact. Um, May I just add to that very briefly? I have a story in Rosemary's in my book called The Borrego Springs UFO, which is very, very, very similar in structure to what you're saying. This is an opportunity a woman had. She brings her family along. Uh, she has second thoughts about it. In the end, they don't do it. But something very unusual and interesting happened, uh, and apparently there was a landing in that area where she was invited to meet with them, and yet she hesitated in going, but she learned afterwards from other people that such a landing took place, wow. such an event took place. It parallels what you're saying. And my God, I, I just wonder if it may have been uh, the same entities. Uh, for this story, as what you're now relating to us uh, from that area. It certainly sounds similar. And uh, so it's interesting. Michael, we've reached the end of the, like of the show here, and I've, I've got to move on for the next programmer here. Uh, what do you have planned for the rest of your weekend? I'm just going to uh, relax, and uh, I'm actually going to see a movie that's one of the people at my cousin's theaters, which I'm involved with a little bit, has done her own movie, and I'm going to watch that and listen to the question and answers. And it's interesting. Her husband is the co-author, co-director of the Blair Witch Project, and he's going to do a UFO movie, probably fairly similar to the way the Blair Witch Project was done. Wow. So I'm going to watch that with great interest this season. That's going to be fun. 
Okay, my friend, thank you so much for uh, the gift that you continue, Michael, to give us through your writing and through your conversations. Stay curious, my friend. Thanks for having me as a guest, Scott. Michael Bryan, B-R-E-I-N. His website, first and last name, michaelbryan.com. You'll find Michael also on Facebook. And uh, if you're going traveling, boy, Michael Bryan's Travel Guides to Sightseeing by Public Transportation would be something that you would probably want to check out let alone for his books, co-authored with Rosemary Longaile, The Road to Strange, UFOs, Aliens, and High Strangeness, and The Road to Strange, Travel Tales of the Paranormal and Beyond. And one of the things I'll just add as a closing statement is that I, I like these books because they really let the witness, the person involved, really let them talk and tell the story. And I think we learn so much from that. Jim Shorty, thanks so much for being here. Great fun, Scott. I hope you have a great rest of the weekend. As, uh, same back at you. And we've got uh, next week Richard Sowell, and it's going to be a program about his research into the Bigfoot mystery. Should be very, very interesting. Stay tuned for Vic and Mesoterra coming up next. All the best to the family, friends, and colleagues of the late Dick Noble former station manager at KZUM. Godspeed, Dick. I'm Scott Colborn. Until next week, walk in beauty.